we're bringing to you a brand new series. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. If there's top 10, this will be in the top 10 list. Uh, Pop Quiz, which is my favorite book. Uh, 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 put in the chat if you do know or you want to take a guess, right? Uh, but this Zechariah is definitely my top 10 book of the whole entire Bible. And we're doing a brand new series called the Zechariah Overview. Now, I want to I recollect what we've studied this year. So this year is uh, on our pulpit series. It's called the End Time um, Book. So we've gone from Revelations, the seven churches. Then we had Pastor Chu uh, giving us a teaching on the whole book of Revelations. Then we've, we went to First and Second Thessalonians. Then we landed in Jude two weeks ago. And now here we are. We are in the book of Zechariah. So we are back in the Old Testament to hear what the Old Testament have to say about the future. Is that okay? But I want to remind everybody that, hey, you know, we're not new to the book of Zechariah because if you followed us since 2020, it is just almost exactly one year ago that we actually studied the first part of the book of Zechariah, which is chapter 1 to chapter 8. So uh, um, I will not uh, go through uh, uh, 1 to 8 again today because I already did last year, but I'm going to go through 9 to 14 today, but I would invite you to go and uh, watch the overview last year because there were a lot said there. Uh, uh, so there are two overviews, uh, one by myself and of course by our, uh, the other one by our senior pastor, Pastor Chu. And uh, we both did uh, a different look into the book of Zechariah. Uh, and it's really interesting. I just recommend you please go and uh, re-watch it. The link is, is here below. So watch it after this service if that's okay. Right? Uh, but today, uh, since we've already done chapter 1 to 8, Today, this whole weekend, I want to go into chapter 9 to 14. And I want to split it into two sermons because it's, it's quite rich in its prophetic language. And I, I do want to do a revisit of the whole book of Zechariah just a little bit. So in the first and second service, I'll be going through it, uh, chapter 9 to 11. Then in the next third service, I'll be going through chapter 12 to chapter 14. Is that okay? So that's the, how the whole weekend is going to be structured out. But before I continue, and because we're not going to read three chapters uh, right now uh, um, in the service, in the, in the sermon, I would like to open up with a word of prayer and dedicate this whole service to God. Shall we? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God, that we just commit this whole service, commit our lives and commit SIBKL into your hands. I commit myself into your hands that you use me as a mouthpiece, just a mouthpiece, for Father God, to speak your word, your word of truth that would pierce our hearts and would change us today. So God, we give you permission. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us, Father God, and excite us to read the word, excite us to read the book of Zechariah in the closing of the year 2021. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to take um, perhaps say 10 minutes, to go through the book of Zechariah just to remind us uh, uh, who is Zechariah and what the book is all about, right? So the context of the book of Zechariah is that uh, the, the people of Israel were already in captivity. So if you, again, study the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel were in captivity in the land of Babylon, all right? So they were there for 70 years. And when the 70 years were up, God spoke to uh, the Babylonians and also to the, uh, to, the, to the Jews to say that, hey, it is time to come home. It is time to go home to your homeland, which is Jerusalem, which is Israel, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild your lives and to reclaim that territory in the name of Jesus Christ, to build the temple and to invite God's presence into the land and to the temple once again. And that's the context of Zechariah. So Zechariah was actually born in captivity. He was born in, in Babylon and, and he, was, he was from a priestly family. So when he 
traveled back with Zerubbabel all the way back to the land of Israel, he would have the benefit of knowing the cultures uh, that the, the Jews grew up with in the land of Babylon. And he would go back and say, hey, you know, uh, I am still from the priestly line. I still know and I study the Torah and I study the Word and I'm here to rebuild and inspire the people to rebuild, to re-invite the presence of God into Israel once again. So uh, uh, Zechariah, very uniquely, he is, I think he may be the only one in the Old Testament, If uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that he is a prophet and also a priest. Because in the, you see, in the Old Testament, God divides uh, uh, um, the roles, right? So if you're a prophet, you're a prophet. For example, if you're a prophet Samuel, you're a prophet Samuel. And then if you're a priest, you're a priest, right? Uh, so you perform duties and rituals and functions in the temple of God. But normally they don't collide. But very uniquely in Zechariah, the office of the priest merges with the office of a prophet. So you would see that Zechariah would perform and he would know a lot of how to rebuild the temple because he is a priest. But the reason why God gave uh, 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 Zechariah a lot of, uh, of visions and, and of the future and visions of rebuilding the temple because he also appoints Zechariah as a prophet. So when he goes back, uh, uh, the temple was started to rebuild and he prophesied the first eight chapters in the year 520 before, year before Christ, right? So he, and, and it took five years for the temple to complete. So the temple completed in the year 515. And after, in that period, once the temple was completed, uh, 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 Zechariah uh, stopped seeing visions of the temple. So the first chapter, the first part of Zechariah, which is chapter 1 to chapter 8, uh, God gave him visions, uh, uh, visions after visions after visions, and, and go back and watch the overview. Um, um, and then there was a long pause before God gave him visions of the second part, which is Zechariah chapter 9 to chapter 14. So a, a chart is going to come up, and I showed this last year, of the main themes of the book, of the whole book of Zechariah. See, Zechariah starts with the first chapter, which is return. God says, return. And I want to draw, I'm going to remind us from a few very key verses in the book of Zechariah. Return. If Zechariah 1 to 3 says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. You see, God is calling His people back from the land of Babylon. He says, don't, 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 be, don't feel that you're too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable in the land of Babylon. I know it's the land of riches. I know it's the land of technological advances, the land of sciences, the land of uh, the, most, uh, uh, the, the best businesses and, and the financial hub of the whole world. The whole region is in Babylon in itself. But don't get too comfortable there because God is saying, Return to me. Return to your homeland and I will return to you. You are not people of captivity, but you are people of freedom. You are people of Yahweh. So come back to Yahweh. And God is also saying, return to me by building the temple. Invite my presence into your life once again. It's the same word for us here in the, in, in the modern world. God is calling His people. God is calling us. Return to God. Return to Him. Don't be attracted by the riches of the world. Don't be attracted by the advancement of the world, but return to God because only God is faithful. Only God is uh, the beginning and the end, and only God is the most wisdom, and He has it all in the palm of His hands. Only God. But return to me to do what? And then in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Return to me to repent. It says here, And then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as He determined to do. God says, Repent. 
Repent of your ways. The ways of the Lord is the ways of humility and submission before the Lord our God. And says, God, we have done wrong in the sight of God. I repent of my ways and I want to come back to be in alignment with you again. And after we repent and God says, all right, I restore you. So I'm going to return to me. I'm going to repent and I'm going to restore you. And now I called you to rebuild the temple and rejoice. Rebuild your city. Rebuild your walls. Rebuild your temple and rejoice that God will come to live with you. And, and the people of Israel back then says, how are we going to rebuild the temple? It's such a monumental task. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We don't have the manpower. We, we don't know anything. We are people of slaves in a foreign land. How do we rebuild the temple? And this is perhaps the most, the most spirit power packed verse in the whole of the book of Zechariah, which is uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. And it says, so he said to me, so the Lord said to Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And that's a powerful verse. The Lord wants to remind all of us, it may look difficult to rebuild your life. It may look difficult to rebuild your business right now. It may look difficult to rebuild your spiritual temple within you right now. It may look difficult, but God says, if you return to me, not by might, not by your might, not by your power, but by what? But by the Spirit of God. God will build us up once again. God will build our spiritual temple up once again as long as we return to Him. It is by the Spirit of God. And I hope that stirs up your faith today that we don't have to strive and strive and strive in this world, but we can rest because God is with us, right? And then chapter 7 to 8, God says, once you have rebuilt the temple, I want you to revere me. I want you to revere me. Don't just build the temple and rejoice for the sake of building, for the sake of, of rejoicing. Don't just build SIBKL. Don't just build your church. Don't just build your house. Don't just build your life and stay happy. Build your life to revere Him, to host that presence of God within you. You know, that's so important to me, that presence of God within me. And I don't ever want that presence to leave. I don't ever want that presence to go. I want to go where the presence of God goes. I want to be where the presence of God asks me to be. And in that presence, I know I'm strong. And in that presence, I know that's where I belong. And I hope that's your prayer. Because it ends the first portion of Zechariah this way. Uh, um, chapter 8, verse 3. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. That's so important. I hope that when we rebuild our lives, when we come out of this COVID pandemic, and some of us, we really need to take stock and rebuild our lives once again, right? We need to adjust to whatever the new normal is after the pandemic. Let's pray it's after the pandemic, and there is after the pandemic, right? I want us to remember that when we rebuild our lives, don't forget God. Don't walk away from Him. But when you rebuild your lives, invite that presence of God in to revere Him, to have that reverential fear of God in your life. Because God says, I will dwell with you. I will dwell with you and call you the city of truth. And you will be the holy mountain. Amen? Don't you want to be the city of truth? Oh, I, 
Oh, I wish God revealed your truths to me, Father God, because I want to be that city of truth. You know what the city of truth just means? Do you know that in this world, in the 21st century, everybody is looking for truth. Everyone. If you view all the recent events in the lens of truth, you would find that everybody is seeking truth. But because truth cannot be found in worldly wisdom, everybody invents their own truths and force everybody to adapt their own truth. So if I have my truth, you have your truth, we don't see eye to eye, we fight. That's the cause of all the wars. That's, a, that's the cause of all the riots. That's the cause of all the political uprising. And God says, I invite every Christian to be the city of truth, that we may live out godly principles, because the godly principles is the truth of the world. People are looking for truth, and truth lies with us. And that's the first eight chapter of Zechariah. And I hope that excites you. I hope to say, hey, you know, let's go back and read the first eight chapters. And, and, and the, the link will come up below to, to have all the sermons of 2020 about the eight uh, chapters. So, so if you have time and when, when at your own pace, at your own timing, do watch all these sermons again and, and get your, yourself reignited with the passion of God for the book of Zechariah. But now I want to move to uh, uh, Zechariah overview, which is 2021, which is uh, chapter 9 to chapter 14. And I want to explain why I split it into two parts because, because it's so rich. Uh, uh, chapter 9 to chapter 11 actually speaks of the first coming of the king. Then chapter 12 to chapter 14 actually speaks of the second coming of the king, right? So it's the second coming of the king that is to come in the future. So tomorrow in the third service, later on today or tomorrow, um, um, I will be talking about the second coming of Christ and all the prophecies that, are gonna, that, 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 that God revealed to Zechariah. But very interestingly, God revealed uh, um, prophecies about the first coming. See, this is 500 years before Jesus Christ actually walked the earth. 500 years, yeah, 500 years before Jesus Christ actually walked the earth, right? And God already gave Zechariah a vision of the coming of Jesus Christ. There are three main ones, and of course, there are smaller ones that are littered all over uh, uh, these three chapters. But, but let me pull three, one, three main one up for you. Zechariah 9.9, right? And he says that the king comes to you riding on a donkey. So if you remember that, now, now 500 years before Jesus come, I think when you read this, you go, what do you mean by, 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 by the Messiah is going to come riding on a donkey? I thought he's going to come on a war horse, right? I thought he's going to come to conquer and then to win us all. But he says, no, no, no. He's going to come riding on a donkey. And Jesus fulfilled that. When? When he rode into Jerusalem one week before he was crucified. How did he ride in? He rode in on a donkey. Then also in um, chapter 11, 12 to 13, very interestingly, it says, chapter 12 says, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Now who betrayed Jesus? Judas, right? And Judas betrayed Jesus for how much? 30 pieces of silver. So 500 years before Judas did what he did, it was already prophesied that Jesus will be betrayed, not for the riches of the world, not for the kingdom of the world or the governments of the world, but for just 30 pieces of silver. And if you study why 30, 30 is actually... Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, a curse back in those days. But that's for another story. So whoever's preaching uh, Zechariah 11, uh, <laughs> that, uh, uh, we'll go into that in Zechariah 11 uh, later on. One, one last one, verse 13 in chapter 11. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the, pri the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. So what did Ju Judas did after Jesus was crucified? When, he, when Judas saw Jesus was crucified, then he realized the sense of guilt and remorse and regret overcame him and he realized, man, 
I just betrayed the Son of God. So he threw the 30 pieces of silver back into the temple at the feet of all the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And so he prophesied back in the book of Zechariah. So I want us, why am I, Isaac, why are you saying all this? I want us all to remember that as we read the book of Zechariah, that if we already see in the hands of history that there are fulfillment of prophecies, that means we must take every single word in this book called the Bible seriously because every single word will come to pass. And until the end of time, not one dot, not one cross will be removed from the Word of God. So when God says so, you can take it to the bank and cash it in. It will come to pass. The title of my sermon today is The First Coming and the Rejection. The First Coming and the Rejection. The First Coming of the King. And to no surprise, he's rejected. Three points. The first point is return. Second point is rebuild. And the third point is reject, return. Um, see, when, uh, when Zechariah was prophesying about rebuilding the temple of God, it was rebuilding a physical temple. It was rebuilding a temple of brick and mortar where the presence of God will reside in the Holy of Holies and the people of the world, or at least the, the people of Israel, will come to the temple and worship Him because that's where He is, in the Holy of Holies. But then when we move into Zechariah 9, God is then revealing to Zechariah a different type of temple. He moves from a physical temple to a spiritual temple. The king will return to rebuild a spiritual temple. And I read it before, uh, just now, and I read it again. How would this king return? This king will return this way. Verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes for you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. That's how the king comes. But in this return of the king, when Jesus Christ comes in the flesh for the first time, he comes with a very specific goal in mind, that is to build the spiritual temple. And that is why we are living in the millennium of the first uh, coming of Jesus Christ. I use the word millennium to signify a long period of time. In the first coming of Jesus Christ. Because no longer do we have a physical temple that we must go to the temple in order to to, to experience uh, the presence of God, that we must go to that physical temple in order to experience the forgiveness of God. We are experiencing a spiritual temple. And this is so apt, especially for the time of the pandemic, when we're all stuck at home. Imagine if we must go to a physical church in order to get forgiveness, in order to experience the presence. I think the COVID uh, pandemic will be absolutely devastating for our faith. But God knew, and God says, I'm going to make you the temple of the Holy Spirit so that God's presence can reside in you. Remember when I said in, in, in eight, chapter 8, verse 3, that He will dwell with you, and you will be called the city of truth, a holy mountain. God will dwell within us. And that is why, even if the pandemic hits, it's okay. Even if we're stuck at home worshiping God, it's okay because God's forgiveness lives within us now. His forgiveness lives within us. His presence lives within us. So whether we go to church, whether we are at home, whether we are together with a group of friends, whether we're in another country, or one day, who knows, whether one of you will go to Mars, God's presence will be 
with you. And the only way God can set up this spiritual temple it is to send His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to build that spiritual temple within us. That's the first point, the return of the King, the purpose of the King. The second point, the rebuilding. I draw this, I want to draw our attention to uh, chapter 10, verse 6. Chapter 10, verse 6 says, I will strengthen the house of Judah and save the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them and they will be as though I had not rejected them for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. The rebuilding of the temple, our spiritual temple, remember? Um, this, this verse is particularly interesting during our time in, a, in, in, in the COVID because, you know, sometimes we feel another RE, not, not, uh, uh, not rebuilding or return, but sometimes we feel rejected, don't you think? Sometimes we feel like, oh God, why have you left me? God, my business has gone astray, why have you left me? God, my loved ones contracted COVID-19 and they passed on, why did you leave me? I feel rejected by you. God, I enjoy church, physical church so much, right? My faith was, was going strong. I was, I, was, I was gonna give my life completely to you, but now COVID-19 hit, I can't go back to physical church and now I'm wondering, is there really a God? God, why have you rejected me? And God is, is almost saying to us in chapter six, it's chapter 10, verse 6, I will strengthen you. I will rescue you because I have compassion on you. And it is not because I have rejected you, but I will come back to you and I will live in you. I want you to take heart and take courage. Wherever you are right now, God lives with you. You are not rejected, but you are accepted by Jesus Christ. And God is building your faith. God is building your faith. God is using COVID-19 to build your faith. God is using the difficulties of your life to build your faith. Just as God used the difficulties of Israel's life. Captivity, slavery, to what? To build their faith, to build the temple. And that's the second point, rebuilding. You know, I want to cover one broad sweep in, in the second point, which is rebuilding. But you're going to ask me, maybe, why judgment, pastor? If you read chapter uh, 9 and 10, and again 11, why judgment? There's so much judgment in, in the book of Zechariah. Why, why when God comes and He wants to rebuild and He wants to restore you because He has not rejected you, why can't He just restore you, restores humanity? Why does, why does there need to be judgment of the wicked? What if I'm wicked and I don't know it? And what if God comes to judge me? Good question. Why judgment? You know, if you study the Bible, the narrative of judgment the narrative of restoration always follows the narrative of judgment. It comes hand in hand. Why? Because God is a just God. I want you, you know, we, we always ask, God, why does the wicked prosper? Why do evil prosper? God says, because you, you're looking at it from the lens of the now, but God is looking at it from the lens of eternity. They will not prosper forever. There will come a time that if you remain wicked and remain evil and remain uh, uh, against God, there will come a time where all those wicked and evil people will come under judgment, but not now. Why? Because God also has compassion on every single human being, not just Christians, not just the Jews, but every single human being and His patience leads us all to repentance, right? The book of Romans. So, so as you can see through lens of history, the lens of the Old and New Testament, Restoration always comes with judgment. For example, Noah. When God wants to restore holiness uh, and righteousness through the family of Noah, 
what does he do? He pronounced judgment across the world in the form of the flood. When God wants to restore Israel from the captivity and slavery in Egypt, he wants to restore it, what does he do? He pronounces judgment on uh, on, on, on Egypt, right? And then he saves Israel. When God wants to restore the promised land into Israel, what does he do? He pronounces judgment on the land of Canaan because of all the evil and the wicked that they do, right? When, when God wants to restore Israel and bring them out of captivity back into, uh, 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 to rebuild the temple in, in Israel, what does he do? He pronounces judgment upon the Babylonians through the eyes and through the hands of the Persians, and the Persians will take over the kingdom of, of Babylon. And there is one prime example of restoration and judgment. When God wants to restore humanity, when God wants to build a spiritual temple in your life, He also needs to judge. And who and what does He judge? It was the cross. So don't forget that the only reason we have a spiritual restoration and a spiritual temple is because of the cross. God judged sin on that cross through Jesus Christ. And that's why it's mm, the first portion of 9 to 11 is so exciting. Because uh, uh, Zechariah 9, verse 11 says, As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free you and I will rescue you. The blood of what covenant? Back then, Zechariah had no idea there was the blood of the covenant, which is Jesus Christ. But we know. It is the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. That judgment was poured out on Jesus Christ so that we can experience restoration. And that is why even if you are locked up at home and even if you are suffering, and even if you're going through great difficulty in your life right now, I want us all to take hope and take heart because Jesus has rescued us. And we are here to go through testing in order to have a beautiful faith, in order to have a rebuilding of our faith to revere Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads me to my last point, the rejection of the king. And it's a sad ending uh, 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 for, for, for the first coming of the king. The rejection of the king. See, in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 7, it says here, So I pastured the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I pastured the flock. See, Jesus Christ pastures the flock. He takes one staff called favor. He takes one staff called union. Um, Whoever is preaching on, on chapter 11, that's another thing that we need to preach on, right? So I, I want to reserve that for whoever is preaching at chapter 11 uh, much later on. But he takes two staff, and, he, and, he, and then he goes on to re, in, in chapter, chapter 11. It says, but the people still refuse to follow me. So I broke the two staffs and I gave them up to a bad shepherd. A bad shepherd. You know, the sad part of the first coming of the king is that even though Jesus had done everything to save us, everything, including sending his only one and begotten son to die for us, we still reject him. We. Now I'm using we. I'm not using they. It's not just the Jews that rejected him. It's not just the Babylonians that rejected him. I'm using we, because it's also you, and it's also me. But why? You ask why, why, why did we reject our king? You see, the sad part is found in Zechariah chapter 10, verse three. I'm gonna read it for you. Why did the people back then reject the king? Why are we now rejecting the king? The idols speak deceit. 
Diviners see visions that lie, they tell dreams that are false, they give comfort in vain. Therefore the people wander like sheep, oppressed for a lack of a shepherd. The presence of idols in our lives. You see in chapter 11 and all the way even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Joshua, there is always two presence in your life. The presence of a king or the presence of evil, the other king. The presence of good or the presence of bad. Now God has done everything to make sure we can experience the presence of the king. But it sometimes feels like we are doing everything to experience the presence of the other king. Right? We still harbor evil intent. We still harbor evil desires. We still harbor sin. We still harbor idolatry in our lives. And Jesus says, if, if you're going to harbor idolatry for years and years, then I'm going to give you up to a bad shepherd. Now that's that. And I end my sermon today by asking us, are you ready to host the presence of the King or are you still rejecting that king? Israel rejected the king. Back in Zechariah's time, Israel rejected the king back in Jesus' time. And it is my prayer that we do not reject that king, but invite him into our lives. You see, whether we like it or not, there is a war going on, a war for your souls. There is a war. Who will win really depends on who you let win. There's a very recent war, everybody knows it, right? The war of of Afghanistan, a 20-year-long war to which uh, it recently just ended, right? And I'm gonna gonna quote uh, a a quotation from this war because it stood out for me like a a really sore thumb, right? But as I quote uh, this war, I don't want, please don't draw further meanings and implications into, the, into this example of the war. Uh, uh, so just hear the quote for the, what the quote really is, right? And, and it is this, as, as the Americans pull out of Afghanistan, and, and of course we all know it was, it was disastrous, um, and then the generals uh, weighed in on why it was disastrous, and then President Biden, Joe Biden, took the stage, and he said this, very important a message with a lot of Christian underlining, Christianity underlining. He said this, and I, I quote, We, the Americans, gave every chance to fight for the future of Afghanistan. Say it again. We, the Americans, gave every chance for the Afghans to fight for their own future. Every chance. But we cannot provide the will for them to fight for their own future. We gave them every chance to fight for their own future, but we cannot give them the will their own self-will to fight for their own future. And that's why uh, 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 um, the Americans lost the war. I want to draw that to our own lives. It, 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 it is the same where Jesus Christ has given us every opportunity and every chance for us to fight for our future. The only thing standing in that future is us because Jesus Christ will never infringe on our free will and force us to fight for our future. 
He says, I will do everything in my power. I will send my son. I will build a spiritual temple. I will dwell with you. I will give you my presence. I will give you my Holy Spirit. I will give you truths. I will give you blessings. I will give you all this in the name of Jesus Christ. But I need you to have that will to fight for your own future. It is in your hands. It is in our hands. Likewise, you know, when a deal was made for the Americans to pull out in 2020, so they pulled out this year, 2021, when they made the deal to pull out in 2020, it was now found that after they made that deal with the Taliban to, that Americans were going to pull out on August 31st, 2021, about one year later, immediately the Taliban went to all the tribal leaders. Immediately, across, I think it was 200 plus provinces in Afghanistan. He went to all the provinces and says, I want to make a deal with you. I want to make a deal with you. I want to make a covenant with you that when the Americans go, you will let us take over. When the Americans go, we don't want to fight you. You are our people. We are Afghans together. I want to make a deal with you. And every single leader said, yes, yes, yes. When the Americans go, you take over. When the Americans go, you take over. And that's why, uh, yes, there's plenty of analysis of why America lost the war. But one of it that captured my attention is this that we, that the Afghans made a deal with the new government, the Taliban, to take over. Likewise for us, there can only be one king of our lives. Are we dealing deals with idols and supplanting the king for idols in our lives? Because if the answer is yes, then God is still fighting for you. It is not a lost cause. The reason you're listening to this sermon today is because I want to remind you and I want to encourage you that you are not a lost cause. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give up to the idols that are trying to seize your life. But Give in to Jesus Christ that He has already conquered evil. He has already conquered sin. He has already conquered death. And He hands forgiveness over to us by the blood of His covenant. Make a covenant with Jesus, not with the enemy. And that is my sole responsibility. Your responsibility as a pastor is to lead people back to Jesus Christ. That is your main aim as a shepherd to the sheep. Lead people back to Jesus Christ. And as what I'm doing today, I want to invite you back to Jesus Christ. I want to say to you, I want to plead with you, and I want you to hear the cry in the heart of your pastor today. Prepare yourself for the second coming. Prepare yourself to receive the first coming. Prepare yourself to receive the presence of God in your lives, to say that, God, I know I've done wrong. One, two, three, four, five. Let the Holy Spirit convict you all the way to 10. But don't forget the most important ingredient. And God, I invite you. Return. I'm returning to you. Will you return to me? I want to repent of my sins. I want to rebuild my temple so that I can revere you once again. Will you, church? Will you, church? No matter where we are and what season of your life, will we let Jesus in so that He can come in cleanse us from all unrighteousness and dwell in the temple of the Holy Spirit. If that is you, I want to invite you right now before the closing song to give your life to Jesus once again. 
to rededicate your lives to Jesus once again. I want to invite you to our online prayer altar. You need somebody to pray with you because maybe you feel like you have sinned too much. You have sinned too much. You have gone too far away from Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to online prayer altar and our leaders and our pastors will pray for you. But I want to pray a short prayer before closing song that we, we, our hearts, will return to Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I give you my life. I offer up my life to you today as a living sacrifice for you. I want to come back to you. I'm returning to you, God. Will you return to me? I'm returning to you, God. Will you rebuild my temple? I'm returning to you, God, and I'm repenting of my ways. I'm returning to you, God, and I revere the Almighty God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. Thank you, Jesus. Come into my life. Live in me. Speak to me. I receive you. I thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, indeed, Father God, we've learned, Father God, that you have given everything. You have given everything so that we can have life. You have given everything so that we can have a future, Father Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, I pray that all of us here will stand strong on the Word of God, will stand strong to cleanse our lives from all unrighteousness and to invite the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the only one and begotten Son of God. And we want to make a covenant with you, Lord Jesus Christ, the covenant of life. So I thank you, Father God, that we invite you into our lives today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So Father God, separate us now with the love of God. May your face look upon us, shine upon us, smile upon us. Watch our going in and our going out and grant us your shalom. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.